Today's podcast is brought to you by Moody's Analytics CRE. As a commercial real estate professional, you manage complicated decisions every day. And to make the right call, you need the full story. Moody's Analytics CRE harnesses expansive integrated data and analytical expertise from across the Moody's organization, then curates it specifically for commercial real estate professionals. Learn how to make better decisions and improve CRE workflows with Moody's Analytics CRE solutions at cre.moodysanalytics.com. Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, good to be back with you. How are you? I am doing well and we are getting getting close to the end of the first month of the year already somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So far, so good. So far, so good. <laughs> you know, we, we had a little, little rocky start here with Omicron, but I at least uh, here it seems to be we're, we're past the peak. So I feel like we're, you know, maybe going to get back to more get, getting back to getting back to normal. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the theme for the last couple of years, it seems. And hopefully this is the year, right? And we're, we're crossing right. our fingers. Now, we've got a guest on the show today. Who'd you bring on? We have with us Irina Polipchuk who is the Director of Research and Market Information with INREV, which is the European Association for Investors in Non-Listed Real Estate Vehicles. A uh, bit of a mouthful, but uh, this is I'm excited because it's actually the first time we're bringing in a guest in from Europe to talk to our North American audience. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for that lovely introduction, uh, Eric. So firstly, read out the name of the organization, but if you could just take us, take a moment to tell us about your group and, and a little bit of your background, and then we're going to talk about this research that you guys have just put out. So if you wanted to even just, just kind of tackle giving us an intro to all that stuff. Thank you. Uh, of course. Uh, so InRev uh, is a very unique organization. Uh, we are, as you said, European associations for investors and non-listed real estate vehicles. Uh, we have been around for more than 15 years now. It's a non-profit industry body with a very big ambition to provide information, data, uh, standards and guidelines for European non-listed real estate uh, market. And we do a lot of research, a topical research, as well as sentiment research, like the one we will be talking about today, as well as a suite of 11 indices altogether to give as much insight, to give as much insight uh, into data provision, market trends, to help investors and fund managers to be better placed in their decision making. We also work very closely with our global alliance partners, uh, such as NACRIF in the US, PRIA in the US on the research side, and UNREV in Asia Pacific on the Asia Pacific side uh, in terms of the market coverage. Great. And so what caught my eye was, <laughs> is this uh, investment intention survey that you guys have just put out that looks at um, what institutional investors are to planning to do in 2022. It sounds like, you know, from you, based on the methodology, you've talked to 
um, a bunch of different entities in a number of countries to get to get some of these findings and found that for one that that there's almost 80 billion in euros are expected to be invested in global real estate in 2022 but then Beyond that, there's a lot of diving down into what some of the things that are, that are important to these investors, what are the regions they're looking at, and some of that, some of that other, other stuff. So we're going to have a link to the full report in our show notes for for, for, for folks just to get that out there. But so to start with, can you just talk uh, for a second about about that methodology about how you put this report together? Absolutely. I mean, this is one of our. Uh, really long uh, long standing pieces of work. Uh, We have actually been doing it since 2005, every single year. And the idea is to really give a clear sentiment in terms of investor preference for the next year or two. Mm-hmm. And since 2014, uh, we have been doing this survey on a global uh, basis together with Unrev, our sister company in Asia Pacific, and Priya in the US. Uh, so this is a long-standing tradition. The sample is very robust. This year, for example, we have 99 participants overall. And in terms of assets under management, that's just a billion uh, short of 800 billion Mm. in AUM. Uh, So um, mainly institutional investors, uh, but also some funds of funds. Mm. Um, And so the, the, the scale and the scope of this survey is powerful because it's global in nature. It has a long-standing track record and consistency in terms of methodology and approach. And it's um, always fantastic to share the results uh, with the peer group and the wider markets. So that figure for this year, that uh, 76.7 billion euro, how does that compare with uh, some other recent years? Yeah, sure. So this this is really the, the main findings or the key number that everybody is waiting for. Uh, so this year, a uh, 76.7 billion euros at the very least is expected to be invested globally into real estate in 2022. That's about 19% increase on the 64.6 billion we had reported last year. So quite a remarkable result given where we are kind of in a bigger bigger picture environment from the macroeconomic perspective, but also in particular where we are, you know, with the COVID-19 events still ongoing. So pretty healthy appetite. And 2021 ended up being a pretty good year for investment sales volumes generally for, for, for commercial estate. So it's interesting to see like, that the appetite has is actually even greater as we start this year. That, that's absolutely the, the case. And in fact, uh, we do ask the question around to what extent COVID-19 has actually impacted investment plans for 2022. And the findings suggest that when it comes to Asia-Pacific, and North American investors, they were affected a little bit. 45% of uh, Asia-Pacific res- uh, responded that they were impacted, and 48% for North American. But when it comes to the European investors, less than a third uh, were impacted. So I think there is a, you know, that recovery in confidence in terms of better understanding where we are in the broader macroeconomic picture better understanding 
in terms of how uh, different countries and geographies are coping with the COVID-19 pandemic and I think the vaccination levels and some less restrictions on travel, particularly in Europe, support that and allow investors to continue with confidence on their investment plans. The entities that you're talking about, I think I saw a breakdown uh, of those geographically. I think more, a little bit more than half of the ones in the survey are European institutions. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So I think it varies a little bit from year uh, to year, but broadly speaking, about uh, just over half paid by number or by AUM breakdown of investors are uh, European, and then the remainder pretty much equal in part in between the Asia-Pacific domiciled investors and the North American domiciled investors. So another thing that jumped out at me in looking through the research, and it's certainly something that's been a, a hot topic for the last, at least the last couple of years in talking to U.S. investors, is this import, importance of ESG in terms of making uh, decisions about the types of investments that investors are going to do. So I was I was struck by the how high a level this was in even breaking it down into some of the subcategories of D, D, diversity, equity, inclusion, environmental, net zero. That all three of them seem to have fairly high percentages um, of respondents saying that this was important to how they're making decisions. So can you talk about that for for a moment? Yeah, that's right. I think it's it's uh, actually reassuring, uh, reassuring in many ways because the ESG has become a very important topic on the agenda of investors over the last few years. Uh, but I think in particular, uh, the feedback that we're hearing from the investors that over the course of the last 12, 18 months, it's become an action point which is now addressed uh, really um, quite uh, notably in the decision-making. And what we did ask is what specific considerations when investing into non-listed real, real estate funds uh, investors are looking at. Uh, we have identified environmentally, socially responsible investments, net zero carbon, uh, carbon commitment, and diversity, equity, and inclusion program as the three key considerations. And on all of the three globally, uh, we had a very strong positive response in terms of those being considered when taking a decision about which fund to invest into. Environmentally, socially responsible investors featured the strongly over, the strongest overall uh, with 87%. And then net zero carbon commitment and diversity, equity, inclusion were just a little bit behind with 68% and 66% globally overall. There were some interesting differences when we looked at the results by investor domicile. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw that actually uh, was a little bit of a surprise uh, at the first glance that actually Asia-Pacific investors were ahead. But that's because this time around, our sample for Asia-Pacific was more heavily influenced by Australian investors mm -hmm. who are, of course, known for being quite advanced in their ESG programs. 
Uh, when we looked at the European and North American investors, both are really strongly considering all of the factors. I think where the key differences were for the European investors, only 50% were considering diversity, equity and inclusion. So that's the lowest uh, percentage across the three investor domicile on that specific uh, consideration where the numbers were lower for the committed on becoming net zero carbon aspect for North American investors, with 38% of North American investors who responded to that question, considering that at this point in time. Uh, However, when we exchange and debate on the topic uh, with investors, regardless of where their domicile is, it's very clear And I think it will come through uh, next year in the results, how important and now actionable all of those considerations are. From uh, the fund's perspective, how do they communicate and report back to potential investors that they are living up to some of these expectations or, you know, like, how how can you prove that you're a fund that should, that that somebody who's got some in emphasis on wanting to, you know, if DNI is important to them, how do you, how as a fund, do you properly position yourself back to the institution, if that makes sense? That's right. I think that's a very good question that the industry overall and a number of uh, bodies, be it CREM or uh, CREF, uh, working towards in making sure that the kind of disclosure and the reporting aspects are clearer. So I think this process is still evolving. Mm -hmm. It probably will be slightly different from one uh, geography to another. I know we're faced with that. Even in Europe, there are quite a a different aspects emerging because everybody is keen on the agenda, but there is no clear standard and not on all aspects as well. Um, I think also to your point, uh, there are also uh, aspects of of considerations which are more at the company corporate level and not necessarily so easy to report or identify when it comes to, for example, diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, You probably do that uh, indirectly when perhaps looking at the composite of a team when you invest into the fund in terms of gender diversity and um, uh, background diversity and so on. Uh, But it's more tricky to pinpoint at the vehicle level for the uh, DEY program. So you probably uh, have to look up to the corporate uh, part, where I think that's why the promoting environmentally and socially responsible investments or targeting bespoke sustainable investment is more difficult to really pinpoint and highlight with the specific individual fund selection. Got it. Yeah. It's going to be yeah very interesting to see how, because that, that has been a recurring question for me in terms of, okay, we're saying this stuff is important, but actually how do you, how do you prove it? How do you prove that, that you're, that you're uh, doing? An interesting challenge, but also an opportunity for real estate investors going forward. So I think what we read from the results at this point in time that regardless of which region you are in, investors are really catching up and taking the ESG agenda very seriously. I think there's a number of regulations in place, particularly in Europe, that have still been discussed and clarified on that that's ongoing process, but that there is a step, gradual step-by-step 
enhancement in how do we measure and disclosure when it comes to ESG reporting. And it can only get better from here because the will from investors and fund managers on both sides is definitely there. So switching to another observation that was in the report, I found it interesting that it sounds like you know institutional investors are, are known for being pretty conservative in terms of their risk appetite and that you're sensing that there may be um, an opening towards something beyond core investment when it comes to what, what these investors are willing to consider. Yeah, that's right. So I think let, let me take a step back and start by if you look at the current holding of institutional investors, uh, regardless which region you look at, the current holding, particularly in Europe, uh, which tends to be uh, more dominated by um, not only pension funds, but also insurance companies in our mm-hmm. sample. Uh, the allocations to core in the current portfolio is very high. But what we are seeing, particularly in this year results, and that's one of the real read-throughs from the 2022 surveys, when we look at the allocations uh, across the globe, but particularly into Europe, in terms of new allocations, so this new capital targeting particularly the European market in the next couple of uh, years, they have a stronger preference for value-add investments with about 57% of all those investors who are targeting Europe in the next two years preferring value-added style. So that that shift up the risk curve is evident. And this is very much in contrast to the sentiment that we have seen last year, and not surprising equally, because, of course, last year uh, some of the investors were more on the sidelines, assessing the risks, assessing the situation in a kind of macroeconomic environment. There was a lot of uncertainty around uh, COVID-19 and what impact it will have on the way we work, play and, you know, do things generally. And so last year, that the um, opposite was true. A lot of emphasis was put on the risk of strategy with core uh, being a key preference for 50% of respondents when it came to European investors. But actually, if we remove 2021 from the uh, kind of trend, because that was a unique year with uncertainty, actually over the last you know seven or eight years, in terms of new intentions and new placement of capital, we've seen that shift towards value and so more or less 60% of new allocations were looking towards more value adds or even opportunistic strategies. And I would assume that that's partially driven just by wanting to get better yields and feeling <laughs> a little bit you know, more confident within real estate in general. So feeling like risk is more appropriate, but also just given the how tight yields are for all kinds of investment strategies that you know, there's there's some that's driving some of the openness towards towards doing this. Is that is that fair? I think that's a very very good observation there, um, David. I think uh, well, there's always a number of factors at play, right? So from about 2015, 
uh, and again, let me default to European markets, we have seen really clear uh, recovery in terms of economic recovery. So the investors were gaining confidence. Also, over the uh, next few years, there was a lot of capital targeting real estate and that's been an ongoing theme for almost a decade now where every single year and you see that in our results as well there is the gap between the current allocations and the target allocations is significant and continues to increase so you know lack of product competition, pricing, uh, almost repricing of some of the asset classes, for example, in Europe, the industrial logistics over the last decades has become much more institutionalized in nature with some of the, uh, you know, structural shifts uh, from uh, kind of normal in-person shopping to online shopping, driving that uh, defensive characteristics of industrial and logistics and quite a significant repricing in that sector overall. So the, the search for better yield is definitely has a role to play here as well. I think we also need to look at the real estate in a context of multi-asset portfolio. And again, that's actually one of the key reasons why we continue to see the shift, uh, growing allocations to real estate in general is because in the bigger scheme of things uh, and where the interest rates are, and also in terms of recent performance of fixed assets, for example, real estate uh, still has uh, quite a lot of value um, to offer in terms of performance and is a good diversifier in multi-asset portfolio. So you started to touch on property types in what you were just talking about, mentioning the growing prominence of industrial logistics, for example. Are there other insights at the property type level in terms of any shifts from previous years in what investors are looking at? Uh, yes, yes, they are. We have seen uh, now for a couple of years quite a different dynamics emerging in terms of preferences. So actually this year, uh, for the very first time, when it comes to European allocations, industrial logistics took a very clear first spot and then uh, still followed by offices and residential we also saw a retail shift uh, further down. So it was in the first position last year. It's in the fourth position this year, so slight recovery. But actually, if you look, compare to the level of preference in 2022 versus the seven-year average, both the retail and offices are significantly lower in terms of new allocations. And I think there is no surprise there, particularly on the retail side. You know, all the structural shifts uh, that were working against uh, some of the retail, particularly the more expensive, uh, vulnerable um, uh, segments of retail markets, uh, such as shopping centers in particular, those were just accelerated even further during the COVID and since because, of course, of the shop closures and, and so on. Uh, we also see quite interesting uh, um, findings when we look at the office sector, because although it still features as preferred sector, uh, it's below, again, the seven-year average preference. 
And it's also very clear that the jury and the position or take on the office sector varies significantly from one investor to the other. If I were to look at uh, and maybe zoom in a little bit just because of the audience that we cater for. So when I look at the uh, distribution of expected allocations uh, to different sectors uh, for investment in 2022, specifically by North American investors, we see industrial and residential featuring very strongly with the average uh, at about 32.5% for both. So that's very strong. And, uh, you know, when we look at the next preferred uh, choice, that's other sectors. So, you know, smaller evolving segments in the European market, maybe data center, some of the science related sectors as well. And then offices is in the fourth position. But actually, if you look at the mean, uh, median, so the average allocation, it stands only at 10%. So huge contrast to the 32.5 for both industry and logistics from the North American investors when they are allocating to offices. And this is a global allocation. Mm. And that's the first uh, um, kind of observation. The second interesting observation is the dispersion in those allocations. So if I look at the 10th percentile, that number stands at 5.8%, so very low. And then at the very other um, uh, side of the scale, at the 19th percentile, that stands at 46.6%. And anything in between means that all of the investors have very different take and see it as different opportunity in terms of allocation. So that's really interesting to me, that dispersion in allocation that North American investors uh, taking their view, and it's similar for both European and uh, Asia-Pacific investors as well. And actually, maybe one observation here, if you think about the office space, uh, most of it is, uh, you know, it's already existing office space. I, I don't see a lot of new development coming through in the office space, certainly not in Europe. Uh, again, in European market, a lot of uh, office space is existing stock that perhaps uh, some investors see it as an opportunity to retrofit, to comply with the ESG requirements and the occupier requirements of the future. And this way you can enhance the performance as well. It requires upfront spending, of course, but it's also a repositioning of that sector to be effectively future-proof. That's an opportunity. So I'm just going to do one more question since we're running close to time here but then I'm, but I also before I do that I, I'm going to encourage people again to check out the full report because it's almost I, I like 80 pages and, and it gets very fascinating when you, you you have all these breakdowns of investors by domicile but also investor investor interest by depending on where they're coming from where they're going to and all these kind of cross comparisons by different property types in different countries so it gets it gets really granular so it's really fascinating to kind of go to go through all that i don't think we can fully do it justice in this conversation so again we'll have the link to that but one last question here is you know we asked about property preferences what about the market is there any shift in market preferences in terms of 
what this class of investor is looking at regionally or are there parts of the world that is it shifting at all in terms of Europe versus Asia versus North America in terms of where investors might be might be looking right now yeah um well I think uh, yes and no <laughs> there's some shift uh, so when it comes to North American investors we see in the latest results that they are still uh, quite uh, regionally biased so about 80 percent of the planned capital deployments by the North American investors are targeting US. And that's actually a slight increase from 73% last year. When it comes to European investors, they're actually becoming more, um, even more open to further um, increases in allocations outside of the region. So last year, their regional bias was 62% of new capital deployment was targeting Europe. This year is down to 49%, with both Asia Pacific and North American allocations increasing by about 5%. So I think the both Europe and the US are actually featuring very highly in terms of target regions, uh, pretty close, 41% for Europe and 40% for North America, although most of that is uh, targeting. In terms of European markets, we see some interesting uh, um, results there as well, because what we see is that non-European investors, so both Asia-Pacific and North American investors are still very much focused on the larger, more liquid uh, markets. France is in the first position, followed by Germany and the UK, uh, where the European investors, for example, are much more spread out in, in terms of consideration for wider selection of markets in Europe. Uh, but again, Spain and Italy, particularly industrial logistics in both of those markets, uh, but also residential across the board, is uh, very strongly favored by non-European investors. And then last little thing is, aside from the stuff that we talked about, are there any major takeaways that we didn't touch on that you think would be important for people to, to have? Uh, well, I think there are so many, it's difficult to pick, but maybe... Uh, just one observation that I see is that in terms of top reasons to invest in non-listed real estate funds, we see access to specific sectors moving up as one of the key top reasons. And I think that goes hand in hand with this dispersion and performance that we saw between different sectors across the world, with some being identified as more defensive and, uh, you know, uh, more future-proof, and I think uh, residential or multifamily and uh, industrial logistics are prime examples of that. Um, and investors are keen to allocate their capital, but when, in particular, you are cross-regional investors, that access to expert management and access to specific sector uh, has become even more important uh, in their decision. Irene, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, you know, we're, we're doing this remote, so we have a big time difference. So I appreciate you taking the time from your schedule to make this work. Uh, David, you're most welcome. I hope this was insightful for your audience. And please do share the reports. We will be happy to um, feedback with further questions. Sounds good. David and Arena, thank you so much. This was a great podcast. Arena, I just want to 
echo again our appreciation uh, to, in making this podcast international. That's great. Uh, so we really do appreciate that. David, thank you so much for bringing her on. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. Today's podcast is brought to you by Moody's Analytics CRE. As a commercial real estate professional, you manage complicated decisions every day. And to make the right call, you need the full story. Moody's Analytics CRE harnesses expansive integrated data and analytical expertise from across the Moody's organization, then curates it specifically for commercial real estate professionals. Learn how to make better decisions and improve CRE workflows with Moody's Analytics CRE solutions at CRE.com. Dot moody's analytics.com.